Guilt is one of the most common robbers of peace. Jesus came to deal with your guilt through his forgiveness. This message is the second in the series, Prince of Peace. The message is entitled, Get Rid of Guilt. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets for the evening as we are continuing our series that we started last weekend entitled Prince of Peace. We're talking about how to experience rest for your restless world. The world that we live in is a very restless place, and the word restless really is a word that means to have no inner peace, to be in turmoil on the inside. And as we look at the world around us, not just our nation, but individual lives and families, people are living uh, quite often in a lot of troubled, unsettled ways, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety and fear. What I want you to know is that when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he came to actually bring to us rest for our restlessness. The prophet Isaiah, over 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied about the coming of the Lord. He spoke on behalf of God, and you perhaps will remember these words from Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And the next title is Prince of Peace. Say it again with me, Prince of Peace. Isaiah said that when Jesus comes, he will be known by these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, a prince is the representative of the king, the father. And Jesus came to earth as a representative of the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, to execute the kingdom of peace on earth. Now, that peace that we experience from Jesus happens first and foremost internally. There will be a day when Jesus will reign over all, and this world will know peace as it comes through Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about the peace that we experience internally in our lives. In fact, the shepherds received this news as well as they were out in the fields near Bethlehem as the angels announced the birth of Christ, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That's the opposite opposite of peace. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. There's the word again. What is it? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the angel declared that the coming of Jesus about many different things, obviously, but it was also certainly and also very significantly about peace in our lives. One of the benefits of knowing Jesus is the benefit of peace. The Old Testament word for peace is the word shalom, and we talked last weekend about the power of that word, that shalom is the speaking forth of well-being to your life, not just a sense of uh, having adequacy in your life, but well-being on the inside. And when you and I think about experiencing the peace of God, we must understand that there's a responsibility on our part, that we have to do certain things that will lead us into the peace of God. There's a gift that is offered called peace from God through Jesus Christ, but we have to respond to it. We have to make the choice to live in it. That's why Paul wrote these words in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. So Jesus came 
came as the Prince of Peace. The angels declared that Jesus' coming was about peace. But now we have to respond to it by letting the peace of Christ rule in us. So you can be a believer in Jesus and still be restless. You can be a believer in Jesus and still be anxious and worried and fearful. And the plan of God is for you and I is to learn how to let God's peace rule in our lives. How do we do this? How does this happen? I talked last weekend about the first step in the process. You have to give your life to God. Today I want to talk about a second thing that is necessary. If you're going to let the peace of God rule in your heart, you must get rid of guilt. You must get rid of guilt. I want to talk to you this weekend about dealing with guilt in your life. There are a variety of things that will rob uh, peace from you. One of those things is guilt and shame. I'm going to take a few moments and talk to you about guilt and the way out of it so you'll understand biblically what guilt is all about. Guilt, first and foremost, is an internal awareness of either the real or perceived break of a moral or ethical law. It's what you feel on the inside when you either think you have or you really have done something that is wrong. It happens internally. It's called your conscience. It's called your spirit, your soul. Something on the inside is triggered when you do something that is wrong or feel that you've done something wrong. And there's this sense on the inside that I need to make it right. Something is amiss. Something is wrong. And you feel that shame on the inside. Now, guilt, by and large, as it was created by God, is a very good thing. It is a warning system that God put into the soul of every human being that calls us to correct our course. Aren't you glad that when you get off course, God gives you a little bit of guilt or sometimes significant guilt to get your attention so that you will address issues in your life and get back on course again. So guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, God designed it to be a correction for the course of your life to get your attention. See, guilt steps into your world when you do something that is wrong or you feel you've done something wrong and it breaks your peace. It disturbs you in your soul. And it should lead you back to God, back to a right relationship with God. But many times what happens is we don't handle guilt the right way. And when guilt lingers, when it hangs around, we don't respond to it the way that we should. Guilt sort of ferments into terrible shame and condemnation. And it kind of begins to eat away at the core of our being. And perhaps even what we do at times is we try to even shut the voice of guilt out altogether. And that does damage to our conscience so that we become hardened on the inside. And so many times what occurs as a good thing initially becomes a bad thing because it's beginning to eat away at you and I because we haven't handled it the right way. So I want to talk to you about how to handle guilt in your life. And I need to take you back into the Old Testament before we come into the New Testament. Because there were two basic ways in the Bible that God gave for handling guilt. The Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. The Old Covenant or the Old Testament and the New Covenant or the New Testament. The Old Covenant was the law that was represented starting with God creating Adam and Eve and then leading into the time of Noah up to the time of Abraham and then Moses and all the story of Israel and the ups and downs that Israel had with God and God's establishment of a system of worship in the Old Testament until there was the coming of Messiah that he promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and that's what the New Testament is all about, the coming of Jesus. It's the New Covenant. But in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, people still 
still did bad things, many bad things, and had to deal with their guilt. How did they deal with it in the Old Testament? They dealt with it through something called the sacrificial system. So we're going to go a little deep here tonight, okay? You ready for this? Can you handle it? I believe you can. So we're going to talk about the sacrificial system just for a moment. So if you were living back in Old Testament times and you did something wrong, the only way you could make it right was by offering a sacrifice, a prescribed kind of sacrifice at the altar, either at the tabernacle or the temple. And there had to be this, this, this gift and this life that is given in terms of an animal for the sin that you had created or you had committed. Now let's go to Leviticus chapter 5 verses 5 and 6 and see a little bit about this sacrificial system. Here's the instruction from God. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what way they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. As a what? A sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for them, or at least make right with God for them for their sin. So when you and I are back living in those times would have committed a sin, we had to address it because the guilt will kill you. How many of you know guilt will kill? Guilt really eats away at your life. There's some of you here tonight that part of the reason you don't have peace in your life is because you're, you're holding on to, or perhaps even better described, it's holding on to you. Guilt is still holding on to you about something, and it will, it will drive you crazy. And so God said, here's how you get rid of your guilt. When you messed up, you find this lamb or this goat, and you bring it to the priest, and the priest is going to take the life of that goat or that lamb. The blood will be shed, and the, the lamb will be put on the altar, the goat will be placed on the altar and there will be a sin offering for you a sacrifice is made so that you can have the atonement for your sins so that you can be made again right with God let's go now to chapter 5 verse 14 continuing to read here the Lord said to Moses when anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock one without defect and of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel it is a guilt offering again notice sin offering guilt offering say so there's two things with me sin offering guilt offering so it's dealing with the breaking of the law they must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things, pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value, and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them, there's that word again, with the ram as a guilt offering, and they will be forgiven. They will be forgiven. Now, can you imagine living back in those days? Think about how many times a day do you mess up? How many times a day, how many times a week do you say something you shouldn't say or think something you shouldn't think or do something you shouldn't do or fail to do something that you should have done? How many times during a week do you either intentionally or unintentionally sin? I'm not going to ask for numbers tonight. But I'm imagining all of us can say it's certainly more than one. And so here we would have been in a system in the Old Testament where we had to continually, repeatedly offer these sacrifices over and over again because only in the shedding of blood that the life of an animal is taken to pay the price for our sin. And so every time you've messed up, you've got to bring this animal. It goes before the priest. The priest slays it on the altar. You see the blood that's dripping away because it's representing the fact that that animal is taking your place because sin deserves punishment. The wages of sin is 
death, the Bible says. And so there has to be just this justice. When someone does something that is wrong, justice says there's a price that you pay for doing something that is wrong. And so the Old Testament system was a system of ongoing sacrifices. An animal had to be placed on the altar. And here's the thing to remember. The animals could never fully satisfy your soul. It could never fix everything on the inside because you're having to watch the death of something else take your place in the sins that you've committed. It's the substitution of that animal. Let's go into the New Testament, because when we get into the New Testament, here's the beauty of what Jesus came to do. The Bible says that he will be called Prince of Peace. That means he came to help us experience peace with God in dealing with our guilt. And the book of Hebrews is a great book that describes for us the work that Jesus did in taking the place of the sacrificial system. In the old. How many of you are glad you don't live in the Old Testament times? Anybody glad with me here? Okay, about half of you are. You, the other half you need to try. I think you'll join us by next week saying, I like that new system, all right? Nobody want, this, is, this is tough, you know, the Old Testament was tough. But Jesus came to actually fulfill what... All those sacrifices of animals in the Old Testament, really they were types, they were pictures of what Jesus was coming to do. That's what you must understand. And the book of Hebrews describes so beautifully how Jesus steps into our world, the coming of Christ, and what he does for us in the alleviation of guilt by his sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated. How often? Again and again, year after year. Read the next phrase with me. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Do you see that there? The Bible says that even though the sacrifices were offered again and again and year after year, they were never able to fully cleanse you. You always felt a little dirty on the inside. You never felt as though your sin had been completely washed away. Your sin had been completely atoned for. You were still dealing with an imperfect cleansing system. Verse number two, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have what? Disappeared. But what the writer is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that the system was just a temporary system. It wasn't the permanent fix. You know, sometimes there are things that are just temporary in time waiting for the permanent fix. If you've ever had dental work, sometimes with dental work, they will place in your mouth a, a temporary piece of dental equipment, I suppose you call it. Not sure what you call it. Maybe you're getting a crown, so there'll be a temporary crown they'll place there, and it's waiting until there is the permanent crown that comes in or whatever it is you're having done. And so there are times that there were temporary things in the Old Testament waiting for the perfection of the real deal that was coming in the New Testament. And so that's what the old sacrifice was. And if you've ever had a temporary crown as I have, you know that you better be careful how you bite down on the corn on the cob. Okay? Because it's not quite like the permanent one is. It's imperfect. And so this is what the writer is saying. Let's go down to verse 18 through 22. Same passage, Hebrews 10. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter God's 
enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. What the Old Testament couldn't do, Jesus did for us when he came and died on the cross and became the Lamb of God that shed his blood. And now we have the one and only perfect sacrifice so that while in the old system, we could never quite get rid of our guilt in the New Testament, you can be guilt free. Isn't that good to know? Okay. This is important stuff because we're talking about one of the big thieves of your peace. It's called guilt. And again, while guilt has its good purpose, if you don't deal with it the right way, it'll eat away at the core of the peace of your life. And so through Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace, we can experience real forgiveness. We can experience a deep washing of our conscience. We can experience the total forgiveness of God in our soul. We can be cleansed by His blood. And the cleansing of Jesus is not just about forgiveness. The cleansing of Jesus is about changing you on the inside. Because when Jesus cleanses you and washes you, he does so in such a way that you actually have a desire, that your your desire for sin is reduced and removed, that you don't want to continue to do those things that take you away from God. It provides you that sense of power to overcome sin. Now, I want to talk to you about what do you do, though, with, how do you get there, okay? Because we've seen that in the Old Testament, it was an imperfect system. It was temporary. Sacrifices over and over again that never quite worked. And then Jesus came and said, through my blood, I've made a new and living way so that you can experience uh, freedom from your guilt. So we get it theologically. We understand. Everybody with me there? Got the theological aspect of it? So we're not, I'm not concerned right now at this point in the message with the theology. I'm concerned with the practice. Because the practice is how you live every day. You can know these things and still live with a sense of guilt about your life. And I know many, many Christians that even though they've accepted Jesus in their life, there's still something from their past haunting them. And from time to time, the devil will bring up the dirty laundry. You know the devil knows where your dirty laundry is? Okay. And the devil will hang something over your life and say, Oh, you're a Christian. Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did that? And many times at the most inopportune moment, the adversary will show up in your life and remind you of your past. And one of the things we all have in common here today, everybody here has one. We have a past. Every person here, we've all had things that have happened in our life or things that we have done along the way that we know we should never have done. Anybody would agree with me on that? Anybody? Okay, right? Okay. And so this guilt, the adversary of our soul loves to bring this stuff up and hang it over our head and eat away at our conscience and make us feel guilty and and rob us of our peace. So the issue is how do we practically, knowing what Jesus did, how do we actually experience the freedom of our sins, the, the guilt being removed, the peace that comes from that? Let me take you back to the, to the, to the writer, first, uh, writer of the Apostle John in 1 John. And let's look at some verses here. And I'm going to lay out seven things that are essential in your life if you're going to walk in the peace of forgiveness. 
John the, the apostle wrote these words. If we claim, this is verses 8 9, 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Read verse 9 with me. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I want you to circle some words there on your notes. Verse 9. If we confess, circle that phrase. The word confess there, let me give you the Greek word, it's homologeo. Homologeo, homo same logeo word, same word. So homologeo, confess, means that we say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. You know, part of the reason many times we don't experience forgiveness is because we try to excuse our sins, don't we? Instead of owning up to them and saying, God, what you said was wrong is really wrong. I agree with you and I did this and I acknowledge, I say the same thing about my sin that you say about it. Okay, so you said it was wrong. I agree with you, God. No contention coming from me. I'm going to homologeo. I'm going to confess. I'm going to say the same thing about my sin that you say about I'm in agreement with you, God, about what I've done wrong. And so if we confess, circle that phrase, if we homologeo our sins to him, that's to God. By the way, I could take another uh, message today and talk about the fact that we only need one high priest. You don't need a man to confess your sins to. You go to Jesus, who is your high priest. There's no man that can forgive you. Jesus is your forgiver, okay? I don't say that in attack of any theological scheme or idea, but you must understand that, there's, that while we do and can take advantage of confessing our sins one to another, there's only one that can forgive us. That's Jesus, who is our high priest. He is the only one that has the authority and right and power to give us forgiveness. He gives that to us by faith in Him. So if we confess our sins to Him, okay, He is, that's Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us, circle the word forgive, to forgive us completely, wipe away the stain of something. And actually, when you talk about God, God is different from us. God not only can He forgive, He can forget. He puts sins away in the sea of forgetfulness. And so it's not, see, when somebody does something wrong to us, we might forgive them, but sometimes we don't forget it. But God forgives in the context of God's forgiveness. There's this idea of putting it in the sea of forgetfulness, that he forgives us our sins and he will cleanse us from all. Everybody say all. I checked that word just to make sure I understood exactly what it means. And I discovered that the word all means all. Everything. All wickedness or all unrighteousness. Now look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children talking to us. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. God says, I don't want you to enter into sin. He knows the damage that sin does to us. But if anyone does sin, aren't you glad that part's in that verse as well, right? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins but for the sins or the sins of all the world so the bible says that now jesus came 
as the sacrifice. So no longer needing all those sacrifices of the Old Testament, Jesus is that sacrifice that atones for our sins. And by the way, it's, he atones for the sins of anyone that will call upon his name. The Bible says anyone that will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. His forgiveness is available to anyone. You might say, well, even people that have done horrible things, yes. doesn't matter what your sin has been. Jesus has the capacity and willingness to forgive if you will come to him in faith and call upon his name and ask for his forgiveness. He is the one who provides the forgiveness of sins for the whole world, those that will call upon him. One of the greatest examples of this in the ministry of Jesus is seen in John chapter 8. I'm not going to read this passage for you. You know the story well. There's a whole bunch of religious guys who were caught up in the religious system of, of, of sacrificing and, and condemning people for their sins. And they caught, these were the Pharisees, they caught a woman in the very act of adultery. It's interesting, the Bible says they caught her in the act of adultery. It was not just hearsay or rumor. They actually were there and saw her committing the act. So they grab her from that environment and they bring her to Jesus and throw this woman at the feet of Jesus and say to Jesus, what are you going to do to her? The law says stoned her. She's committed such a sin. It is so grievous, grievous that we need to get her out of our midst. So they, I'm sure, came with their rocks ready to kill her and hopefully wanting Jesus, trying to actually, in some way, uh, pin Jesus in to have to respond to this situation. You might remember the story, if you've studied it, the Bible says that Jesus, in seeing the lady there, knelt down. And what did he begin to do? He began to write in the dust, write in the dirt. Now, we don't know what he wrote. We have no idea what he wrote. But let me mention this. More than likely, where was the lady at that point? The lady was likely in the dust as well, right? Aren't you glad that Jesus gets down where you are to help you, okay? This is important, okay? That Jesus, if you will, comes down to where this, this is, this is Christmas as well. Jesus came down to earth where we were. Dirty us, okay? Broken, sinful us. Jesus said, the Holy One said, I'm coming down into the world where you are, okay? Jesus got down where this lady was to meet her at her point of need, okay? This is the Son of God, okay? And he begins to write in the dust. We, again, we don't know what was written. Many Bible scholars believes, believe that what he was doing was he was actually writing the names of the Pharisees that were condemning this woman and beginning to list their sins. The reason that is, that's, 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 that's a good uh, speculation of what happened is because one by one, what did those men do? They left, right? I mean, if somebody's writing your sins in the dust, what do you want to do? You kind of want to get out of there, don't you, okay? And then there's this moment in the story, true story, where now there's no one there condemning her. It's just Jesus and the lady, and he asks her, woman, where are those people that are condemning you? Where are they? Where did they go? He says, there's no one here, she says. And Jesus said this, neither do I. Anybody remember what he said? Neither do I condemn you, go your way, and sin no more, okay? So there in that moment, you see that Jesus came not to perpetuate guilt in us, okay? 
but to actually bring us to a place of being free from guilt so that we can now begin to live the right way. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus is not a condemner. Isn't that great to know? In fact, in John 3, 17, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And so Jesus is not a condemner. So often we have this mindset that God is just this, awesome, this awful condemning God that is always after us in some way. I want to tell you something. God is not a condemning God. He's a loving God, okay? He's not trying to beat you down. He's trying to pull you up, okay? He's not trying to keep you miserable over whatever you've done wrong in your life. He wants to free you from that so you can have peace and rise up and be everything that God wants you to be. But there's so many of us and some in this room right now that part of the reason you don't have peace in your life is that you still you keep playing the tapes over again in your mind of things that have done gone wrong in your life, things you've done wrong, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation that you feel about what you've done wrong. And I want you to know that Jesus is coming, came down to you at Christmas to say to you, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. You've got another opportunity. There's cleansing. There's the washing. There's atonement for sin. Amen? Now, how do we do this? How do we actually live this way? I want to give you seven things that are essential. If you want to walk in God's forgiveness... There's seven things that you have to understand about freedom from guilt in your life, okay? So write these down as we go through them. I'll talk briefly about them, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with prayer tonight. Number one, you have to put your faith in and turn your life over to Jesus, because Jesus is the only one that can bring forgiveness. Okay, you've got to turn to him, put your faith in him, turn your life over to him. And so if you've not done that, you've got to have a relationship with the forgiver. You can't be forgiven without a relationship with the forgiver, right? Okay. So if you've never had a relationship with the forgiver, you can do that tonight. You can make the decision to say, Jesus, I am putting my faith in you and I'm going to turn my life over to you. Number two, when you sin, go to God quickly. Write it down, quickly, okay? This is where we get in trouble, that we mess up, we have an attitude that's wrong, we say something we shouldn't say, we, we do something we shouldn't do, we fail to do something we should have done, we feel the guilt, and then instead of running to God right away, we try to fix it, we say, okay, I'll be really good for the next three days. I was bad today, but I'm going to be really good for the next three days. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read four more chapters in my Bible. God's not asking you to, you know that reading four more chapters in your Bible is not going to atone you for your sins? Not saying the Lord's prayer, prayer another 10 times. That's not going to bring forgiveness. You know what's going to bring forgiveness? As soon as you sin, run exact, directly to Jesus and own up to it. Homo logeo. Jesus, here I am. I'm confessing my sin to you. I run to you quickly. Run, don't run back from God. Run to God. And then the third thing. Honestly and specifically confess your sins to God. Notice it say, I said there, honestly... And what's the other word? Specifically, okay? Well, Lord, I'm not sure really what I did. If I did anything, forgive me. If you did anything, of course you did something, okay? So you say, God, I'm confessing. I spoke harshly to my husband. I spoke harshly to my wife. I'm owning up. To, I specifically, honestly own this. And notice it says, honestly and specifically confess, circle the next word, your sins. You're not there to confess somebody else's sins. God, you know what they did to me? 
We love those prayers, don't we? We like to confess other people's sins, but you're not there to confess somebody else's sins. You're there to confess your sins. Number four, very important, check your intentions about future sin. I'll explain that in a moment. What did you learn from your failure? You know, there's a difference between an insincere apology and a sincere apology, right? An insincere apology says, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to do it again. But just to kind of make it right right now and to move on, I'm sorry. And there are a lot of folks that approach their relationship with God that way, that if you do something that is wrong, you go to God and say, God, I'm confessing this honestly and specifically to you. Then stop for and say, okay, what are my intentions? Am I saying this because tomorrow I'm going to go out and do the very same thing again? I already know I'm going to, and so I'm just kind of trying to make peace with God for this moment. Or do you really have the intention of wanting to have your life changed? See, God's plan for your life is that you would not keep on sinning. You'd not keep on doing the same things over and over again. And so that's why Jesus said to the woman who caught in adultery, go your way and sin no more. Notice that part of the story. A lot of folks don't talk about that part of the story, but it's a part of the story. And so you have to say, okay, God, I'm here honestly and specifically confessing my sin. And God, with all of my heart, I want this to change in my life. I don't want to continue to be this kind of person. I don't want to continue to do these things. Or that, Does that mean that you'll never do that kind of thing again? No, it doesn't mean that, but your intention needs to be that you're not going to continue down the same path. Make sense to everybody okay number five accept God's promise of forgiveness if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's a promise and so you say to God God I believe that you've promised me forgiveness and then number six forgive yourself and others boy it's so important because what we're doing tonight, dear ones, is we're, we are, if we'll do this, we're defeating the work of the devil in our lives, okay? We're defeating the work of condemnation because while Jesus never condemns, the devil loves to condemn. The devil loves to rake you over the coals. Every time you make a mistake, he loves to pull out your past and hold it, hold it up before you and show you and tell you how bad you are. That's the devil's. He is called the accuser of the brethren. He loves to accuse you and beat you down and tell you how bad you are. But if you'll do these things, you can rise above and you can defeat the condemnation of the adversary. And can you, can you imagine how much more power you will have in your spiritual life when you do this? And so you make this decision. I'm not only going to say, God, you've forgiven me. Now I'm going to forgive myself. Okay. You know, sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Just to say, you know what? I'm going to let myself off the hook. You know why you can let yourself off the hook? Because Jesus paid the price so that you could be forgiven. Okay? When you don't let yourself off the hook... You keep holding your own self up on the cross. You're saying, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to be the martyr for my sin. You're not really being the martyr for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. Okay? And so you're only hurting yourself. And so you say, now I'm forgiving myself. And by the way, many, many times, sin that you have committed in your life is connected to other people as well. 
Maybe they influenced you in some way. Or maybe they were a part of the environment that resulted in your sin. You've got to forgive them also. So forgiveness is not just a one-way street with God. Jesus said, taught us to pray in the great prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so there's this connection. God, I receive your promise of forgiveness. And God, I also forgive myself now. I'm taking myself off the hook here. You paid the price for my sin. I'm not going to pay for it. You did. And now I also forgive others. The next part of the journey, number seven, is confidently move forward. Everybody say forward. Stop going back. Stop looking back. Stop, uh, stop uh, focusing on the failure. But say, you know what? I am now getting up and I'm going to move forward. I like to say it this way. Every time you fail, fail forward. What did I learn from this? What can I learn in my next environment? What do I learn about the process? What have I learned about myself? And so you fail forward. One last story, Luke chapter 15. I love this because it really wraps everything together for us. It's the story of the prodigal son, a man who had two sons, and we'll look at what happened with the younger son. The younger son, he came to his father and said, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this young, younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant country or land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Notice he's wasting everything while living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields, his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, that's an important phrase, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned. That's confession. I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. You know what that means? It means the father had been looking for him. Filled with love and compassion. It doesn't say filled with condemnation and anger. It says filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. I like the way the New Living Translation gives this last verse. So the party began. Don't you like that? What you see here is this. You see a man, a young man, who'd made some really big mistakes in his life. Everybody agree he made a lot of mistakes? He was, he was foolish, a lot of mistakes. But he had a moment when he came to his senses and said, You know what? I'm going home to Dad. I'm going back to Father. And I'm going to own up to what I've done. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen when he got there. 
But he discovered something about the nature of the father. And the nature of the father was, I've been waiting for you to come home. Let's have a party. I've been waiting for you to finally own up to your issues so that now we can move forward in life. Let me say this last thing as we're done. We're going to pray. If you have as a believer in Jesus, have been struggling with some area of guilt in your life that's haunted you. Maybe it pops up regularly. Maybe it only pops up from time to time. I want tonight, I pray that tonight will be the night that whatever that failure is, it'll be finally and completely and forever put to rest, that it will never come back to haunt you ever again. Because tonight you're going to say, I am forgiven by Almighty God. And the devil will not have access to that part of your life any longer because you can stand and say, I am forgiven. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so grateful for the privilege we have of studying. We are thankful that you speak to us about these kind of issues in life. And Lord, we know that one of the thieves of our peace is guilt. And I want to pray this evening for every person that's here, especially for those who maybe have times of haunting memories in their life, something they've done wrong, a big mistake they made, and they've looked back on it and deeply regretted it, and sometimes they feel the condemnation, the shame of that. I pray that right now, that this moment, that you would let them begin to experience that forgiveness. Let them walk in it, I pray, and that the peace of God return to their soul, even as you did for this young man. When he met the Father, let it happen to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. 
If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.